Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to another episode of Colton Classic Podcast, the podcast where we pair two films that are thematically linked, one mainstream and one cult, and talk about them both for your listening pleasure. And hopefully you check them out and learn a little bit more about film. I'm Nate Wyckoff, your host, film critic and comedian. And this is a pairing that we like to call uh, natural dork romance. Um, and and you'll, you'll find out why as we talk about these two films. Um, this is sort of the lighter, happier side of Colton Classic Podcast, I think. Um, but I, I think these films deserve uh, a close analytical look as we like to do here on Colton Classic Podcast. So uh, before I get into those movies uh, with me today, I have Jeffrey Tucker. How are you doing, Jeff? What's up? I've got the most expressive forehead in the biz. Yeah, if you're watching us on YouTube, uh, Colton Classic Podcast channel, uh, you see that Jeff is full on Home Improvement Wilson here. It's just his eyes and forehead uh, in the video because that's how he decided to do it. I think his back is going to give out by the time uh, we're. Oh yeah, this this. is going to be very uncomfortable. Um, But it deserves it it. for the art. (laughs) The art for the art, absolutely. And we also have Mandy Longley. How you doing, Mandy? How was it Friday again already? Like yeah. Yeah, we record these on Fridays, guys, and it is like, there's never, it seems like I, yesterday we were doing another, another episode. Yeah. Um, But tis life, so make the most of it while you can. And that is uh, kind of, I think, one of the messages of this first pairing in our natural dork romance pairing, which is Wes Anderson's Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise Kingdom is... uh, a Wes Anderson movie. And if you are familiar at all with Wes Anderson, you know that he makes these quirky sort of, um, I would say hipster slash uh, old people who think they've traveled the world. I think those are his audience usually. Um, You know, it's the people that are like, I love cinema. They don't go, oh, I love movies. I love cinema. Um, This movie was actually written by Wes Anderson and Roman Coppola, who, uh, you know, we follow the Coppola family quite closely here uh, on our on Colton Classic podcast. And so this fits right in. The plot is, is that uh, this is what it says in IMDb. I'll just read it verbatim. A pair of young lovers flee their New England town, which causes a local search party to fan out to find them. That sounds like it could be a very different movie than what we have here. Uh, We have a very... Wes Anderson, which means folksy Americana, unique music, unique occasion, very visual 
art, 2D plane, cinematography, um, across the board. This is one of the most Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson movies. Um, if you're not familiar with his other work, um, I believe The Life Aquatic with Steve Zezzo uh, preceded this one, which is actually kind of divisive among the Wes Anderson fandom. I personally thought it was a fun, fine film, um, but it's it's... If you have a Wes Anderson fan and there's one of his movies they don't like, it's very possibly The Life Aquatic. Uh, this one was sort of universally loved by the Wes Anderson fandom as well as critics. It is about a, a young girl and a young boy, and this is not just a New England town. It is an island, um, and they are... It's, it's Jared Gilman, who plays the boy Sam, and Kara Hayward, who plays Susie, and they're both oddballs on their own um sam's parents died recently and so he's an orphan uh and uh, uh his his she's one of my favorite characters Susie. his his love interest is just a, a younger troubled sort of anger issue girl but both of them are played with such kind youthful not even naivete just honesty in a way, I feel like they're both, it's a very genuine, like they, they say what they mean, which is such an odd thing because as adults, we are socially prescribed to not say exactly what we mean. It is, it is quite disconcerting when someone says exactly what they mean at any given time in our day-to-day -day lives. And it's refreshing to see it. And these two kids sort of uh, exemplify that, which is in stark contrast to the other characters in the movie. We have Bruce Willis as Captain Sharp, who is... Um, a lonely bachelor who's having an affair um, with uh, uh, Bill Murray's character, Mr. Bishop's wife. Uh, I thought and, you were going to say he was having an affair with Bill Murray. I'm like, I missed that. Completely. Having an affair with Bill Murray, 100%. Um, <laughs> yeah, Mrs. Bishop is played by uh, the, the amazing Frances McDormand. Um, she's having an affair with Bruce Willis's character. Bill Murray and her character, uh, the Bishops, are both very um cold to each other separated in a way they they have you know two s s twin beds in their bedroom with a nightstand in between um and, we, and they, they, yes they're both lawyers and they talk around each other a lot we have uh, ed norton as scoutmaster ward and the the scouts in this movie are sort of this paramilitary group in a way but very leave it to beaver and ed norton has he leads his troop uh, of which Sam is a member, and Sam is sort of the outsider. The other kids pick on him a little, you know, a bit. And one day he's they wake up and he's not there. He's escaped. He's cut a hole at the back and he's left. Well, he's an excellent scout, so he has all these survival skills. And he, they find out, has made a plan um, with his his girlfriend Susie to escape to the woods. And they're going to go to the other side of the island and make a a a romance paradise on this beach. And uh, there's a lot of other characters in here, as you would expect from a Wes Anderson movie. There's a ton of side characters. Bob Balaban plays the narrator. Tilda Swinton plays social services, which she not only is the head of social services who, when she finds out that um, Sam, the orphan has run away, she goes to the island to take him basically and, and find somewhere else to go because he can't go back to his foster family because they, they turn him down because he is uh, having night terrors and at one point lit the dog house on fire. Uh, and it, again, sounds very uh, Scooby dramatic in different hands, but in this movie, it's just 
it doesn't feel unsafe. We have Jason Schwartzman playing Cousin Ben, one of the sort of Eagle Scouts of this troop. Um, there's, there's so many notable uh, actors in this film, but I'm gonna say the standouts are without a doubt our two leads. I think Jared Gilman as, as Sam and Kara Hayward are, uh, I find it delightful whenever they're on, on screen. So, okay. I'm just going to dive right in. Uh, this is one of the few movies where there is a plot that is somewhat straightforward. Uh, everyone basically is trying to find these two kids. And at the end, they sort of parse out in a way that's happy for the kids, as opposed to Sam being yanked and taken to a foster home on the mainland somewhere and never seeing um, Susie or anyone else from the island again. <clears throat> um, spoiler alert, uh, the single uh, character played by um, Bruce Willis adopts him and it's it's quite adorable jeff what did you expect going into moonrise kingdom uh and how do you feel now that you've seen it um well i, I mean i i wouldn't say like i'm a, a wes anderson super fan or anything but i i do like his aesthetic i like his style and you know I generally like his films um so i went into this expecting that i would like i would like it and uh i did like it uh i wouldn't say i loved it though um mm -hmm. and, and and i think that that's maybe a common theme for me in wes anderson films like i mm -hmm. really like them and i love them on a technical standpoint um but like i never really am like joyous to go back and watch them like a second time like i i i don't know um yeah i i, I probably go and watch this again just because i i feel like i maybe missed some stuff in it but um it it's not um it doesn't bring me it, it, like you know so much excitement and joy that i'm like i need to see this again um but I, I for like for those of you that that haven't seen a wes anderson film like he has this thing and i, and I think it was like it was so on point in this in this film it it really looks like he's not shooting a film with actors but he has like this little dollhouse that yeah. like he gets in there with like, you know, this tweezers and is, is in there for months and months and months, just like, you know, moving every little detail around. Um, Cause it's, it's so like, you know, everything's so well thought out. It seems they're not well thought out, but it's been deliberate. It's been deliberate. Yes. Deliberate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing extra. Like it's, the sets Everything are is, very deliberate, but like not overly done. Yeah. They look like a dollhouse. It's like you'd have a couple things in each room. Yes, exactly. But it uh, kind of reminds me, you know, just quick, do you know when you go into a restroom at like um like a, a local restaurant, not a chain, mm -hmm. but like somewhere that's sort of uh, the old standard of that area and you go in the bathroom and they often have that like print of some um, untrained Americana painter where they paint very flat everything it's just the whole town where there's just mm -hmm. like here's the bank and then there's a couple of people with no faces walking and then there's like the old post office and all sorts of stuff it has the town name and the date at the bottom that's the vibe of a Wes Anderson movie to me like it's that whole everything has this sort of homey like there might be a little bit of dust on it but it's also got a doily um every old lady has a little dog every dog has a little bow and a scotty mustache like it's just it's 
it's Wes Anderson. And that's exactly like, once you see one of his movies, it's, it's like Tim Burton. It's very difficult not to see him in every other one of his movies. It's, it, I can't imagine a, a Wes Anderson movie where I'd watch it. And even if I didn't know the credits hadn't played and I went in blind, I'd be like, is this a Wes Anderson movie? Yeah, his greasy fingerprints are all over everything he does. <laughs> yes, 100%. Sorry, I didn't mean to I cut you off, but that that when I was watching yeah. it, that always pops into my head. So the, I think the other thing that jumped out to me, because I've, I've actually seen this like recently popping up a lot, is like the fourth wall breaking stuff. Um, there's like a new show on HBO called Winning Time where they do it that kind of annoys me. Um, it's but it's, I've done like a lot lawyer where I like it like I think it's done well in Fleabag and generally if this is done where like you know in Fleabag she's talking to the audience and she's like sharing how she's feeling in mm. that moment like it's, you're you're connecting on an emotional level um in like winning time it's kind of like a like a kind of um slimy charm type thing that they're doing uh whenever whenever they do the the look to the camera um but i love the way that west does it because it's like for for me uh it's so dry and so deadpan and just so flat uh there's no emotional connection to um what's uh what's the actor's name that does the the exposition there uh, in this oh i uh bob balaban is that his name yes yes i love that guy but yeah so he's fantastic uh, yeah, he so actually, he's giving it's this... like he's making a documentary. He's totally cold, mm -hmm. and he even reaches it's... and picks up the camera after a scene at one point and carries it off with him. It's so yeah, but it, like for me, it's like uh, like normally when they're doing it, they're like looking at you, right? Like it's like I'm trying to make an emotional contact with you, and it and it's like it, it like it breaks the fourth wall. Mm -hmm. But in this with like the, the Wes Anderson method, like I feel like the characters looking right through me because they're not trying to make any emotional contact with me at all. And it's like, I'm like, what are we looking at? Like, is there something behind me here? Like what, what's it's going true. on? And it it's just like, feels like narration. Yeah. Like, it just feels straight like narration. And well, it's and like, also what he's talking about sort of forebodes for the future scenes we're about to see as he comes in, but he never tells us exactly what's what happens. The only thing mm -hmm. he tells us is that it's as though he's narrating in the past about the future because he's mm -hmm. like, then he basically is telling us this big storm is going to hit, which is when the climax of the film takes place. And yet he's obviously in the past. So he is a narrator. He's not an actual, but then he becomes a character. It's very, um, it, it's very, you know, the author appearing near the end of his work in the fiction and then walking out, you know, <laughs> that, that old device that occasionally happens, you know, uh, and it has an interesting effect. Yeah. So I, I just really like that. That was like, um, I, I think he's used similar things. Um, you know, I, I, I can't remember specifics. He's done similar things in other films, but I just remember like when, when I was watching Moonrise this week, that one just like jumped out at me. I was like, I was like, I'm just really enjoying the way that he's doing this. It's like a really clever. I, I don't even know if it's intentional because like most of his dialogue is so flat that like yeah. that could just be what it is. But it worked really well for me. Like I thought it was really solid um, and felt like a like a clean clean bit of exposition. Yeah, I can uh, I can absolutely see that. I enjoyed, um, and it sort of goes to 
the leads, like the, the lead, the kids, you know, Sam and Susie's characters as well, their faces, they play it. He, it's, how do I put it? Jeff, you made a good point. It's as though no one is acting because, but it's not that they're natural either. It's as though they are people who don't know how to act put into a real world situation. It's very strange, um, but it has this, it sort of allows, I think it allows the, the context of the actual script and events to play out in a way where we are able to pick them out more clearly because a lot of the physical aspect of the delivery is not um, getting in the way of everything. And so it, it's, it's an interesting choice, but there's some, there's some moments where Wes Anderson, as you said, everything's deliberate. He does things that I don't always expect. And it has an interesting choice. Like, for example, this is, as always, there are spoilers. I don't think it ruins any movie. Um, and maybe a whodunit will take some some steam out of it and will warn you in those cases. But most movies, quote unquote, spoilers are just plot points and they're not going to ruin it for you. But um, the when the uh, camp kids are trying to get Sam back, they, they're essentially picking on him, right? There's one in particular who becomes a ringleader kind of and is trying to get him back and, and it starts a fight. Um, and at the end of the fight, we don't see the fight, but we know that Susie goes uh, uh, crazy because she has an, uh, she explodes, she has an anger problem. And um, she doesn't kill the camp dog, but the dog does apparently get accidentally shot with a, an errant arrow from one of the other campers. And when you see, when it's revealed, it's a oddly realistic looking dead dog with an arrow in it with blood. And it's sort of jarring. I found every time I see it, I know it's coming, but it's a jarring scene because it is a spot of realism in a film that's very light. And yet I, and I have a soft spot for dogs. I hate in movies. There's very few movies. I could literally tell the listeners which movies I've watched where dogs have died that I still think. I think of you watching. every single time I see an animal die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and, and this is one of those cases where, I remember in theaters when I saw this and it struck me, yet still the movie maintained for me its point. And there's this, and it has one of the best lines, one of my favorite lines of all time, but the, one of the best lines from the movie, Sam and, and Susie are the ones that find the dog and they're like, oh, and, and she's like, was he a good dog? And he says, who can say, but he didn't deserve to die like this. <laughs> and that's just such a great line. Like, was he a good dog? who can say like that is so it is so insane yet it's so it speaks volumes about the the mindset of these kids how everything is more serious than it to them than it really is but at the same time isn't it kind of serious like it actually is kind of serious um and it makes us the audience go through like all these levels of analysis <laughs> you know uh what do these kids actually mean what did that line mean and then it just I've, I'm never so entertained as when I'm also mentally figuring things out and I feel like I'm able to get meaning out of it. Um, if I, you know, I, I can just sit back and enjoy this movie, but against my will, I'm made to think about things as I'm watching it. Never heavy things. It's not a brutally, it's not mean. It's not really even gritty. Um, all the kids except for that one ringleader come back around and help Sam at one point. Like it's actually quite a, a positive. It's just, I find it to be a happy movie and that's kind of astounding considering my stance on, on, on animals and film and having that scene. And it always sticks in my head, Mandy, uh, 
what was your expectation coming into this movie and what did you feel uh, watching it and now that you've seen it? Um, I think I was worried that it was going to be like Rushmore, which I did not mm-hmm. actually see all of because I disliked it so much Like when I saw it. I should go back and try it again because um, I think I saw it around the time it came out. And I'm going to be honest, it's my least, it's fan. many people's favorite. It's my least favorite Wes Anderson I movie. I couldn't get through all of it. I was worried that this was going to be more like that and I was going to mm-hmm. not like it. Um, I ended up absolutely loving it about two thirds of the way through. Like, so like the first mm-hmm. two thirds, I was like, this is fantastic. And then I hit a wall and I was mm-hmm. like, this is too much. <laughs> it's too much. Uh, Wes Anderson, I need a break. <laughs> I, I just wish that this was shorter, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, overall, I found it pretty delightful and silly for all the reasons that you just mentioned, like just uh, the set designs. Um, the characterizations, like the crazy, crazy cast that just keeps making you go, wow, they're in this movie too, like uh, moments. Um, And yeah, it was just a really like fun movie from start to finish. Uh, I just wish it was a little shorter because it was just kind of, it felt like, it just felt like it just piled on too much of the sameness um, and tone, like for a long, long time. Yeah, it takes a while to get going. It's funny because I actually, I, I agree with you, but I'm not sure. But for me, I would be okay with the sameness, but it's actually when it starts to pick up and have like an, a, a sort of faster pace near the, that whole last, not even third, maybe a quarter, especially because yep. the movie is only an hour and 34 minutes. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. It does feel like it's a two hour long movie. It does. Um, and like, I was relieved near the end when the pace started to pick up and stuff started happening. Mm. But it was like right before that, I was like, oh, seriously, like, come on. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, and it's when there's an actual like physical element um, that it starts to go faster, but I do agree. It's, it's, it's almost as, I don't know if you agree with this. It's almost as if the, he sensed in the script that the movie was in danger of overstaying its welcome. So it raced to the finish. Yes. Um, which for a movie that literally ponders its way with each meandering step forward otherwise is quite a shift. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene where Sam gets struck by lightning, which is sort of the beginning of the real rush towards the end. And that scene is the one scene that stands out to me as I'm, I'm still not exactly sure exactly why that's in there. It is, it is visually entertaining, but I still don't know what that has to do with anything. Um, yeah that might be the one where I, I trust that it has a purpose that I don't, that I, and I'm not recognizing rather than it has no purpose and it's just there because everything else has said is so deliberate. Um, but I mean, well, we get John Voight in there, right. At one point um, we just, it's a wild, it's a wild trip. Um, I do really love this movie. Uh, I think that there's not too many movies like it. Uh, it does have a risky pacing that is, more self-indulgent in a way um or, or hedonistic yeah, sure. as i had one art professor uh, so that and i don't think I, I don't mind it as much with this movie because as we've discussed the visuals are so attractive you know if, if for people listeners out there um many of whom you've seen the royal tenenbaums this is very much in line with the royal tenenbaums wes anderson versus like the rushmore wes anderson or even the bottle rocket wes anderson you know there are subtle differences but the characters are kinder in this. They're not as obnoxious uh, in many ways. And Even I want like to correct myself. Fantastic Mr. Fox was Anderson. Fantastic. <laughs> that's right. Um, well, and I mean, it's sort it's of like, like it went. Silly well, out, 
outlandish stuff. Yes. And, 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 and it's sort of like, um, and the Isle of Dogs is probably somewhere in the middle there, but I, I think the reason why Wes Anderson is able to do certain things with the stop motion directing choices, like with a fantastic Mr. Fox, um, which is actually the film that directly preceded this. I was wrong. The life aquatic was several films back. This was in 2012, uh, before it was the, uh, fantastic mr fox and then before that he did the darjeeling limited as well um so there were several steps in between there but uh it's the meticulous visual nature that that he imparts in his movies is probably why i think stop motion appeals to him because just like with his actors he's able to go no this here this here everything is this way and we get some really cool shots like for those interested in just cinematography and sort of the the design of a shot um with unique transitions um you know it's not like say brotherhood of the wolf when we talked about how the vistas are beautiful and each lighting shot is beautiful this is more he wes anderson does not ascribe to the idea that it should just be done everything should be done with a camera right he does the thing with a camera but then we'll use other elements transitions digital um, work here and there to make a unique movement from like room to room like jeff said in a dollhouse sort of fashion um he's willing to use all these tricks and there are really cool shots um, that he's envisioned in this movie uh, particularly at the end i like we get these shots where sam and Susie are still hanging out though perhaps a little clandestinely uh, and he's painting in her in the upstairs room of her house her brothers and everybody are playing and then it just pans back and we get to see the set we've seen before but from a new angle with a painting he's working on of the shore where they sort of had their romance um in frame and it's just you, you sort of get both sides of um the film and the progress at the same time and now they're in the same place right so it's just it's a cool visual that actually i think even subconsciously imparts um a, an important element of the movie right we started in Susie's house with her looking out this big picture window and then we got to the middle where we have them sort of learning their their romance uh part of themselves on this beach and then at the end the final shot we get a shot in that room where she looked out of but also an image of the beach. And now it's at the end and they're together. They're one. Their home life and this sort of romanticized part that they're looking for are literally in the same place. Um, and it's that kind of, again, deliberate is the word of the day here. That kind of deliberate visual cue that makes a film like this that could be a slice of life almost. It could have a very foggy narrative arc because it's it's even though they are physically going somewhere and there's physical elements driving the movie like groups trying to find the kids etc it's really about the character development right so many of these characters do go through changes in a way the two that don't go through changes as much are i think sam and, and Susie because they're kind of it's the world that's crazy right not them in a way even though they both are very odd uh, I want to talk but they they balance each other out so that was another thing I wanted so to say well, about yeah. like what I took from the movie is they balance each other out so well and it's so funny to see them like meet up in like the woods for this adventure and he's like this the scout with all of mm -hmm. the preparedness and the know-how and the equipment and the supplies and everything he's he's been planning it for like a year or something right and he's like mm -hmm. right he's good to go and she shows up with like 
a kitten in a basket, a record player, and a bag of books. Like, not helpful at all in any way for being out in the wilderness. It's just like, all right, let's go. Yeah, totally. And yet, in a way, they both, like you said, they complement each other, right? They listen to the music. Yeah, because they had the stuff to do to entertain (laughs) and, like, whatever. Um, And he had the stuff that they needed to, like, eat and have shelter. So it all worked out. It's just really, like, that balance between the two of them. Yeah, and I, I, I want to talk about their their brief time at the island before they're found by the parents and everything. And um, the pure innocence of this romance, because it's not, I feel like often films have one of two ways, right? Either it's kids, either it's it's Larry Cohen's kids, right? Where there are, are, are underage teenagers literally having sex and, and shooting heroin or whatever. And then, or you have um the you know the equivalent of the movie that they showed us in like third grade whenever there was like uh, a, a pizza day or a teacher training day or something right that where there would maybe a romance but like the end the big end was maybe a peck on the cheek or something or like you know they won the big game and and you know she rushes out and hugs the lead like that that kind of romance this was actually this sort of even though it's such an odd Wes Anderson vibe um, that is is sort of somehow unreal. They have this really real cute romance. Like it, it's not just like, it's not platonic, it's actual physical attraction. And I mean, at one point she even references his erection, right? They're on the beach, it's one line and um, they're both in their underwear because they don't have swim trunks. And um, they're at that age where he's still really tiny and she's like now a foot taller than him. Um, and it's just, it's really cute. They're dancing and they kiss and it's, it's just pure innocence. Like, and it's funny to say that because I think a lot of people would be sort of, I mean, I think I, even in the theater, it's just, it's a little uncomfortable. I'm not, we're not used to seeing that out of, out of children who are underage, right? For some reason, as an adult in our society watching, um, you know, I can click online and see two adult consenting people having extremely graphic sex. And that's not the same as watching two people of the same age who are coming to um, uh, sexual maturity, uh, discover their physical romance, like it's there is a definite difference. And it's so funny how one can feel wrong while the other feels totally normal. and I love well, that they for didn't me, shy away. I think the thing that's creepy about that for me is like when, whenever I watch films, um, especially movies that like I admire technically, I'm I'm always putting myself in the mindset of like how are they shooting this? Like what's mm-hmm. uh, you know what's what's going on? And like in these scenes where these two children are 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 um, you know enacting their romance, I'm I'm imagining you know, Wes Anderson behind a camera, like being a creeper. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's like, I can't like, there's like no way that, that that's not like a, uh, that if you're actually on set that you're like that, that that's a kind of a, a little bit of a weird thing. Um, so that, that particularly was the one that, uh, that triggered for me is just like thinking about it in the actual um, making of the film. Um, well, it's interesting because I, I do like both of these um, characters. The characters are, of course, the same age in the film, but Jared Gilman um, and uh, um, Kara Hayward are 
the same age as well in real life. They were 14 about the time of this movie. Um, so now they're in their 20s. But um, <clears throat> the, the general rule is uh, that, and there's no actual nudity in this film, but nudity can be used usually children can be nude, et cetera, as long as it's a non-sexual context. And as long as it is in a non, basically any legal way. And of course, two people of the same age, it's who are consenting, even if they're both minors would be considered legal. So you'll see this in foreign film, especially European cinema. You know, you might have a school locker room shower where there's a bunch of naked, you know, minors in it. And it's not problematic because the idea is, well, you're not supposed to sexualize children, right? I, there is, of course, this questionable thing. And just like in, when there's a scene uh, 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 with nudity or romance on a on a Hollywood set, as they're supposed to anyway, um, there's often uh, options where there's very few people in the room, right? There's essentially as little as two people, the director and the cinematographer, and then the cast. So um, uh, again, who knows how this was shot or whatever. Um, I don't necessarily have an issue imagining the people in the camera because I'm hoping that those everyone's comfortable or whatever. And oh, I'm sure it was done very well. I, I mean, oh, I, didn't sure. read I assume it was very professional. I'm sure, like, you know, uh, I'm sure it wasn't just Wes Anderson and these children there. I'm sure that no, it probably. was, I'm sure there know. was a sound guy and etc. Um, uh, but as a viewer, though, yeah, yeah, yeah. I find that I it makes me uncomfortable because then I'm a voyeur. Right. Like it does have this this line of um, like, well, they're making the movie to tell the story. The actors are doing their jobs. I'm just watching. <laughs> I'm not making anything to make the world better. I'm just paying some, you know, 15 bucks to go see this movie. Um, I don't think this is particularly racy in, in general, but I do think uh, it was a bold choice because we live in a world where reason is not uh a necessity of opinion uh and what i mean by that is it's people have a tendency to make a, a flat judgment across the board and say this is right this is wrong and then not be able to or be willing to use judgment to say well the context of this is different and it is used for this purpose the context of this is different it's used for this purpose right and that is this isn't to damn our society, but we see that a lot right now. And it's one of those things where I'm like, it was bold to do this because it shows us exactly, I think, what was intended, which is a real, honest, genuine, uh, loving moment, a growing experience, something we've all as adults have experienced to some form in some way or another. And watching it as like, oh, this feels real, even though it's such a created world. And uh, this is why... A, a filmmaker like Wes Anderson is considered sort of avant-garde, a safe avant-garde, you know, there's no, it's not blue velvet or anything, but <clears throat> avant-garde, because this isn't normally what we would see in say a Hollywood movie, right? Um, if it's not uh, uh, Mark Wahlberg and, and uh, an actress 20 years younger than him, like hooking up on a submarine while transformers blow each other up above, then they're not, there's, we're not going to understand any romance, <laughs> Like they're not going to give it to us. This is two people who are actually 14 year old kids acting in a movie about 14 year old kids having a romantic deliance that they've run away from home to have. And it's, it's just a very different experience. Um, and I think it was a pivotal moment in the movie. Um, and just like conceptually how we're, it, it can make us uncomfortable 
because we're not used to seeing that, you know, children in that role, even though that's exactly what children do as they grow up, it's a necessity. Um, the adults show up and break it up physically, right? And they, they sort of spoil this moment. Um, whether or not they should have or not, these are younger people is a different question. But it's it's like that ending scene where you have the multiple locations physically confined to one final location coming together. That's, to me, is sort of the actual turning point, right, where we start heading toward the climax, because that's when they're discovered, they're separated. Um, and it is this, I saw it as the real quote unquote world, the, the pressures that we have in our design society of adulthood, smashing apart this sort of idealized version of, of um, love that, that we have when we're growing up and we're young and we haven't experienced the pressures of work, home ownership, um, fizzled romance, whatever. And so that was very, it was very interesting. And I think that it strikes when you watch the movie, it strikes that chord in us where we're like, oh, I've been enjoying this like trip to youth and like the best parts of admittedly romanticized youth and sort of rose colored glasses youth, but I've been enjoying this and now it's being ruined by me, <laughs> you know, by the adults, like it's, it's being ruined by me. And it, I think that brings me to the, the reason I really resonate and love this movie is that it sort of ends where this, that, that childhood innocence and joy still is allowed to exist as the world progresses. Like we assume their lives are going to go on and whatever happens, happens, but it's not ended by the end of the movie. Um, and that's a really nice thing. And I think we have a tendency as, as writers, uh, and especially as, especially as filmmakers who make, um, powerful cinema, I'm using quotations on that, uh, you know, serious film, we have a tendency to take that easy way out of smashing apart happiness and calling it a point. And uh, this movie does, instead, it has the points that smash at that happiness. Instead, they say, um, maybe, maybe that's not what should be done. And if you think that's how the world really is, well, maybe we should make it different. And I just like that feeling about it because it leaves me happy finishing the movie as opposed to uh, like I've been battered over the rocks uh, by pounding waves and I'm just left on shore to dry up like a sea sponge. Um, <clears throat> so. Yeah, so I mean, I, I agree. They, they went, they definitely, uh, well, Wes definitely went with a, uh, a positive spin on the uh, the entire uh, kind of like third act of this film, like is all kind of good vibes, um, mm -hmm. but like it, you know, like there definitely was some like heavy elements of you know being an orphan and mm -hmm. running through foster care and stuff, but you know it was like you know the really more subtle like negative notes even in the the first first and two first two acts you know it's like you know a girl being ignored by her parents who are mm -hmm. you know too busy arguing with each other about weird pedantic like <laughs> legal stuff um mm -hmm. so she wants to run away and you know this this kid is not finding a comfort in his foster home so he's looking for an escape as well um 
So yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I do, I do like that. It's just, uh, I think for, I mean, clearly the, the critics love it. I'm, I, I'm just, I, I would be surprised if like, uh, like wider audiences um, w- would be able to, to kind of chill with that. But it, it seems like it's a pretty well-received film. So. Well, I think you're right though. I mean, I, and I think part of it is the, the sort of, if you're not willing to experience a film on its own merit, meaning you're not willing to contemplate it and sit with it, this movie makes you sit with every scene. And it also, it is, there's a double side to having a sort of light mood, right? Like, even though, as you said, there are serious elements, the film doesn't, none of the characters, well, the characters we follow as sort of hopefuls, right? Especially Sam and Susie, don't dwell on those, even though they both clearly have them, right? Um, And uh, I just want to give a a shout out to one of my favorite scenes in cinema history as well, when uh, they flash back to when the two met and Sam, basically they're watching like some sort of, is it an Easter or Christmas pageant or play? I can't remember, but it's at the church. And uh, it's a bunch of the, birds. I, I don't know. There's a lot of kids in these sort of creepy um, modern pet cemetery remake masks, but it's basically uh, Sam wanders off from his troop who's supposed to be watching. And he goes backstage and he fumbles around through the back of the stage. And then he ends up in the girl's dressing room and he parts through rack of clothes and all of these girls who are like, you know, a foot taller than him or whatever are lined up at the um, makeup mirrors and they turn, they all have their masks on and they turn around and look at him and lift their masks off. And Susie's in the middle as a, a raven and she lifts her mask up. And at one point, I think he points at her and goes, you. <laughs> and like, that's like their meeting moment. And like, he just like asks her name and it's just, and that's when they start writing to each other to, and concoct this plan. But like, it was the most, it's the most adorable, like meet cute moment with these two kids who are so serious. Um, and I love too, when the woman who's like clearly leading the like stage managing comes in and she sees him there. It's a girl's locker room. I mean, everybody's dressed and everything, but like, she doesn't, it's not, she doesn't rip them apart. These are kids. She says, get out of here. Like, go, go back to your seat. Like it's, it's just, it could be such a different movie. Maybe um, like fades into the costume rock. Yeah. He does the Homer Simpson, like, like, you know, shrub recession. Yeah. Um, it's, well, just, I mean, it's like, really great. Most, most filmmakers, like, you know, they're basically being chased by people that want to help them and keep them safe and protect them. You know, like <laughs> most mm-hmm. filmmakers, you know, could try to put some tension in there and put them in danger in some sense. Like it never felt dangerous. Like there was never no. uh, like, except for maybe when they went to the, the, the top of the, the church or whatever. Right. The uh, very it, climax yeah. before their. Yeah, or, it, yeah. It never felt like dangerous. Like yes, there was, there was um uh, you know it, it felt like everybody was capable of taking care of themselves like that was the way it was presented which is interesting because i also i think that you kind of hit it on the head again where i'm like you know as we wrap this up i do think that is also one of the things about this movie that makes it a little risky and makes it so it probably isn't the film that most wide audiences would jump to 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 watch again because there is no it's not plot driven uh, it is definitely character driven. There is um, 
procession. It is sort of a it's, it's sort of a road trip movie in a weird way because we watch uh, Sam and Susie like travel from point A to point B on their quest, but um, there is no killer chasing them. There is there isn't even until the end the threat of social services coming to take him away. Um, we have and... the threat of the storm and not knowing what's going to happen to them in the storm. We, and like, we do sort of like the foreboding that something bad happens because the storm is such a big deal. Yeah, like, which is interesting because yeah. that we're told the storm is a big deal, mm-hmm. but it doesn't until the until very you know until that last like twenty minutes at, at most like it really isn't even there right like the yeah. clouds don't even start forming so it's just it's just a very odd pace I think it's intentional I think it's effective but I can see it not being everyone's cup of tea and it's one of those movies where I can I'll start with the recommendations here I absolutely recommend this movie it makes me happy I love this movie. I am never surprised when somebody doesn't love this movie. And I also am always running through ways of which the movie could have been done differently in my head after I watch it, which tells me that there's something missing that maybe I could could have been done differently. Maybe it wouldn't have been better, but it's how my brain would have done it. And so I, I it, it doesn't make me dislike it. But it tells me that it's not, um, there are a few perfect films I've seen, you know, uh, that I would never, I, I'm like, I couldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. And I wouldn't have zero, zero uh, impetus to change it or to improve it. I don't think it's possible. Um, very few. This is one where it's very close, but there are elements that could have been done differently. And I do wonder what would have happened um, and how what the outcome would have felt. Um, that said, I absolutely recommend this movie. I love it. It's happy. Anybody can watch it. Um, yes, uh, there is a dog that dies in it, but it's not a heavy hearted film in any way. And also it's not like, you know, there's no, it's not John Wick. Okay. Um, that's not going to happen. Jeffrey, would you recommend Moonrise Kingdom? If so, why and to who? Uh, yeah, very much. So. I mean, I think this is actually probably the best movie we've reviewed on this show. Just like from, a like, a if we were to add up all of the qualities and sum them up, I, I think the only thing that it, it is a little dull, especially through like the middle, middle sections, uh, because there isn't uh, like the basically the plot driven sh- stuff we were talking about doesn't really have much of that. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, just even like the first like 10 minutes of this, this film is just like, is just an artistic feast. Um, yeah that yeah i mean if you like films you have to see this movie i think i mean that's just that's just the way i see it yeah i happened to be attending a film school when this movie came out uh i believe and uh yeah because it was one of those things where oh yeah everybody saw this like this was what people were seeing that weekend uh opening weekend so uh mandy would you recommend moonrise kingdom if so why and to who i'm sure super cute like i said anyone can watch it it's fun lighthearted. Uh, very goofy, wide appealing cast. Like most people are gonna like someone that's in this film. Um, and also uh, just just even just watch it to enjoy the totally crazy Boy Scout or like the Scout Troop scenes um, with Ed Norton. Um, I think I would rewatch it just to see those. Yeah, we didn't we didn't talk so about those out there I and love funny. Them. Like I love like it them. wouldn't necessarily work as like uh, like Saturday Night Live skits. But like I could see something like it being <laughs> yes. like a repeated skit that would be done on some kind of um, show, 
like that. Yeah. Um, Again, we have like, just... um, it's sort of salute your shorts, you know, early yes. Nick, but done in like this very artistic style where the camera's on uh, a, a track and it mm -hmm. goes every morning the the troop, you know, trumpet goes off and everybody's up doing their stuff. And it just goes, the camera just goes along in a long line following as Ed Norton's character of the, of the, the, um, uh, the camp head or whatever Scout master yeah he's just thank you Scout master. Yeah, he goes through and checks through. on everyone's work yep. and then he sits down gets his paper gets his breakfast and then of course as all the kids disappear to go help sam admittedly he gets up and he just walks through and he's just sitting at the table by himself with a paper looking around yeah <laughs> anyway it's, it's hilarious, the best detail yeah. of that was he was like smoking a cigarette. cigarette oh my yeah. god and yes. he, he gets up to the the bit where the, like for some reason the kids fireworks. are making fireworks but he yeah. like holds the cigarette like right. towards the camera at uh, arm's like, length away yeah. from <laughs> such, the, the yeah, fireworks such a table great little detail yes <laughs> yeah i was in hysterics during no. that specific scene yeah, yeah. and i remember i'm trying to remember i think this movie takes place in the 60s correct is that uh, it says at the beginning when it takes place uh, that sounds about right it's not exactly. contemporary um but it really doesn't matter because it's this wes anderson microcosm that he's created um so yeah. okay folks. anyway so yes big yes for me just this is yeah i think i think it's a yes across the board i think this is sort of this is one of those oddball movies that we do every once in a while where i really think it's enjoyable on its own merits and if you're the kind of person who likes to put uh critical analysis to a film if you're if you're a film uh studies person uh or you want to try your hand at that this is one of those movies where you can dig and get layer and layer and meaning and meaning and visuals that impact the meaning intentionally uh scene by scene and uh it's certainly it's had essays written about it and there can certainly be more there's enough to talk about so that is it for part one of our natural dork romance next week we are in for 2009's um it is a documentary slash mockumentary uh i let me know anyone if there's a term for this a theatrical documentary uh but it is called paper heart uh and we're just gonna leave it at that um charlene yi is in it and michael sarah uh, those are the two leads and it's it's we're gonna talk about it guys so catch that next week for part two please leave a review wherever you get this podcast uh let us know anything you'd like to hear any complaints send them to tad at colton classic podcast at gmail.com uh follow our youtube we will be loading all of our episodes up before the end of the year uh, and we'll be caught up so we'll have all new episodes both audio and visual on youtube as well to play us out as always is the chud with all about evil Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.